So I thought we'd start with a little bit of introductions here. Uh, now, obviously, you know, there are a lot of people who probably recognize me from Checkpoint XP, and I'm sure that there are tons of people who are going to recognize you as sell, uh, or are going to recognize you as well. I've also learned recently that it's better if I go first. That way I don't have to try and come after you, <laughs> who has a little bit more of the legacy here. So uh, if you are new to the channel, if you've never heard of Checkpoint XP before, we're Beasley Esports. Uh, the gaming and lifestyle division. You know, we do a whole lot of stuff within the gaming space and within the esports space. You may have actually possibly heard us and not even known about it. Uh, Checkpoint XP is the nation's first syndicated broadcast uh, talk show dedicated entirely to esports and gaming. We're on over, over 70 stations, and you can find those stations, just in case we happen to be in your market, over at CheckpointXP.com. Uh, I've also just recently started a new comic book podcast with Ben Morris, formerly of Marvel Entertainment. You can find over at CheckpointXP as well. But I've been a longtime fan of Overwatch. The moment that it came out, I bought it. I was into it. I've never really been into competitive games just in general before. So the fact that this shooter was able to capture me in the way that it has... Honestly, it has left a mark on me that no other game really has before. And the whole, you know, Overwatch doing the whole franchise model really sucked me in. You know, as a kid, I used to always watch the NFL with my dad. And it was one of the sort of the big bonding moments that we had together. So to see an eSport emulating that, it was, you know, love at first sight, especially with the Outlaws. Perfect, amazing branding. Uh, but anyway, ever since then, I've been trying to get as much Overwatch as I can. And since I'm a bit over the hill when it comes to maybe participating myself... You know, talking about it and uh, analyzing it is the next best thing. And, uh, you know, Jake, again, not that you need any introduction, but for those of you out there that, uh, you know, might be new both to the Overwatch League or to Checkpoint here and uh, the Owl's Nest, you know, talk a little bit about yourself for us. Sure thing, Robbie. Uh, my name is Jake. Uh, I played in the Overwatch League for the Houston Outlaws um, for the inaugural season and the 2019 season. Um, but now in the 2020 season, I am retiring from my professional career to work on the talent team and work as a caster uh, alongside ZP to help deliver fans the story of the action. I, I'm really, really excited to be in this new role, but um, you know, I really cut my teeth, I would say, as a player. And, and for me, that was uh, in many ways like my first uh, real foray into the real world. Actually, uh, you know, my first real job, I would say, outside of um, you know, washing dishes and whatnot throughout high school. But um, I'm just so happy to, to be here, to be part of this podcast. I think um, you're right, probably a lot of people watching might, might already know me or might already follow what I do. Um, but for those that, that don't, uh, basically ex-player, turn talent, um, all about analysis, all about understanding the game. I feel like as a player, that was my greatest strength. That was what I was able to bring to the team and, and offer them more so even than my personal skill was my ability to understand the situations and analyze them. And, uh, the strengths and weaknesses of each player and each team and well, uh, you know, play to those for success. And now you'll also be bringing some of that expertise here to the Owl's Nest as well. And I have to say, you know, I've always enjoyed, you know, watching what you and ZP do during the World Cup. So, uh, you know, we're glad to have you on the broadcast team. And, uh, you know, again, Owl's Nest here. We're going to bring, be bringing this to you weekly, every Friday for, uh, you know, just get up to date on everything that's going on and sort of what to expect going into the weekend matches. And so, you know, before we move on to our main discussion here, I wanted to kind of touch on that a little bit. You know, what exactly is it that you're hoping for this show to be? What are you hoping to bring to the viewers that are watching? Uh, what I think it's all about is just giving people that inside look. You know, I think the, um, that's the same reason I went to the talent team, but uh, I think in the podcast format, it lets me dive in a lot deeper than as a caster where it's all about keeping pace with the action. Um, what I'm excited to do is, is tell the fans, you know, what does a pro player see when they watch the Overwatch League? 
Um, and I think that might be a little bit different than what most people get out of the broadcast, most people get out of their viewing experience. Um, because as, after playing as a pro, I think what I'm looking for, the way I'm looking at these teams, the way I'm uh, evaluating their play is, is, I think, a bit different. And, and um, understanding the sort of risk-reward calculus that players engage in means that, you know, it's not always about the team's end results that's going to tell me, you know, what I think of them as a team and, and what I think their potential is. Uh, you know, there's always those extenuating factors that uh, can give a team a boost or can be holding them down, holding down a team that, that could be stronger. So I just hope to give fans that inside look and, um, you know, whatever insights I have, I just want to share with everyone and uh, get those stories out there. Well, I think that Overwatch fans uh, specifically are a special brand of esports fan. You know, they're rabid, they're passionate, you know, they want to consume more and more of their favorite favorite teams and their favorite players. And when you look at this 2020 season, they're cutting down the number of matches that we're going to have each week. So I think that content like this is going to be very important going forward. So I have to say, Jake, that, that you honestly, you just put it perfect right there uh, in your description of the show. So uh, hopefully that's what you're looking for. And uh, if not, maybe you'll find something you love here on the Owl's Nest anyway, but that's enough about us. That's not what people have came here for. They want to hear about Overwatch and Overwatch we shall give them in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. What does look Jeremy look like? Robbie. Describe someone who Rob, looks Jeremy. My Robbie. bathroom floor. No, Robbie. Oh. Every two weeks, Robbie will come in looking like a Ren and Stimpy character. <laughs> and that's straight that, up. Hold on. <laughs> that's <laughs> homicide. Ow. Can we... And every Yikes. time I see him, every time I see him, I'm like, holy sh! Yo, bro, are you like, good? Of like, not not just like a red and It's like when they get they the zoom in. So I'd like to thank all of you watching right now and encourage you to share your own thoughts with us. You know, as you're listening along uh, or watching, whether it's on the podcast or on the VOD, uh, you can do that over at Checkpoint XP on Facebook and Twitter. You can also find us individually on Twitter, uh, my own at Robbie underscore Landis CP and uh, Jake here at Jake OW all over on Twitter. So I think the two big things right now that have sort of been dominating the Overwatch uh, sort of space and scene as we're getting ready to, to ramp up for the start of the season is uh, well, the first one here is the outbreak of the coronavirus over in uh, the Chinese region has caused the league to basically suspend the matches uh, that are going to be happening February through March. And first thing that I have to say is that this is absolutely the right choice. I don't know if there's anyone who would argue with that choice being made. But the big question now is when we're looking at this season, you know, bearing down on home and away games, a lot of people are looking at this as the make or break season. And something like this really early on, I think, has got a lot of people worried about how they're going to reschedule or how they're going to make up this games and what effects it might have on the league. Jake, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, obviously it's not something that, that anyone would have asked for, that anyone um, is excited about, um, but I think uh, you're absolutely right. There's really no other decision that can be made. I mean, obviously Overwatch League is huge and, and really important to everyone who's part of it, but um, the health and safety of everyone involved is always number one, and there's really nothing that can, that can come before that. So um, definitely Overwatch League making the right decision here, the only real decision, I think. Um, what I do know is that you know, even though these games, you know, aren't going to be played in their original plan location and their original plan homestands, the games will be played. Period. So we will be seeing these matches um, that we expect. It might not be when we expect them or where we expect them, but they will happen. The competitive integrity of the league will be protected. So we don't need to worry about that as regards this cancellation uh, or rescheduling, rather. Um, 
But um, I think overall, I've actually, you know, I mean, obviously it's a huge challenge that no one could have really expected on the Overwatch League side. But overall, I was really impressed with um, how, how on top of it, really, the staff behind the scenes in the Overwatch League are, you know. There's so many people at the head office that, you know, most fans never know, you know, they don't know their names, they've never meet, met them, they won't ever see them. But they've been really working tirelessly to generate new plans, figure out what's the best way to get this done, because obviously it's a major logistical challenge. So, I mean... People are saying 2020 is a make or break year, um, which I think makes sense in terms of, you know, going out into the world and delivering on the promise of the Overwatch League to have this content in local markets, have these matches live, you know, for local fans. Um, But I think really, I mean, this is a major proof of the logistical chops of the Overwatch League. If they can solve this problem, if they can figure it out and make this work after, you know, a completely unexpected virus outbreak in China, then I, I really think that that's like a major... A positive sign actually for the league going forward that if we can solve a problem like this i mean it's hard to imagine um things being too much harder to, to deal with in terms of um issues or, or problems that arise during the season so um if anything i think this will just be an opportunity for the overwatch league to prove that um it's a really really solid organization and that uh from the business side from the logistical side um there's really nothing more you could ask for in terms of um dealing with this as quickly and effectively as possible yeah, it seems like honestly every season that the the naysayers or the you know those who are sort of the uh want to see the league fail. They look at it and there's something that they find wrong with it. You know, when the league was first announced, even people, you know, on our own show over at Checkpoint XP were like that's a lot of money they're asking for for these franchises, and we don't know if it's going to work. They knocked season one out of the park. You know, season two coming in with almost double the teams for expansion teams. A lot of people were like, it's a little too early. They're not going to be able to make this work. And again, they knocked it out of the park. The parity with the new teams was insane. And I think coming into season three, you always have people who are looking for reasons to say, no, it's going to be make or break. You have to make it this year. Or else where are you going to go? And I think you're absolutely right. If this is something that they can contend with on top of the home and away model, it's really, I think, going to cement the fact that the Overwatch League isn't going anywhere. And regardless of the challenges that they face, they're going to find a way to surmount them. And you had also mentioned, too, which I think brings us into our next point, the idea of uh, you know the, the, the integrity, the spirit of competition. And... I want to talk a little bit about hero pools, the hero pool changes that we're going to see uh, in, I think it's March 7th, is when those officially go into effect for the Overwatch League. Uh, but there's been a, you know, uh, some rumors going around that, that a hero ban system may be implemented. Jeff came out and said, absolutely not going to happen. Then a few weeks later, we got uh, what some are calling a compromise, a little bit in the middle, and that's the hero pools, a uh, dev-instituted weekly sort of ban system where we see one tank, two DPS, and one support that's taken out of rotation. Working a little bit different in the professional setting where the most popular characters from one week going into the next week uh, will be banned out. And I just want to get your your opinions on that because it seems to be that people either love it or they hate it. There's not a lot of in-between. So just on its face, where do you tend to lean on that? Uh, well, I would say like everything in Overwatch, right? It's, it's kind of a love it or hate it situation. Um, and I think that just comes from how passionate people are about the game. Um, so in the end, I don't know if that's – I think that's not a bad sign. Uh, realistically, you know, that, that, that people love it or hate it because that means they care. It means they're excited and, and they want the game to be better. Um, me personally, I would say I absolutely do love it. I really think that um, this is something that the game has needed for a while. And for a long time, I thought the developers just disagreed and that they didn't see the, the same problems with the game or they didn't see what I saw as problems with the game um, as problems that they just disagreed entirely. Um, but this is proof positive that that they are 
you know, on that same page with a lot of the professional players um, and with a lot of viewers who kind of looked at some of the last seasons and, you know, despite the, the league posting great viewership numbers and, and, you know, not really looking bad in a statistical sense, I think there was a lot of, of discontentment with how long some of these metagames were lasting with GOATs dominating for, for three stages of the Overwatch League pretty much. Um, I think what, what people love about Overwatch, what draws them to it is this amazing lovable cast of unique characters. Uh, and bringing them all together in unique, diverse ways and uh, seeing professional teams do things that you've never imagined or, or you, couldn't, you, know, you, you couldn't have thought of yourself and then you can work with your friends and try and bring it out in your own games. I think that's what makes people so excited about something like the Overwatch League. But um, when the metagame is really stagnant and you end up playing the same six heroes on both teams um, you know, every single match for months and months and months, I think that can grow really tiring because... You know, you know the potential of Overwatch. You know this amazing cast of characters, and you want to see them all. And I think the reality of the hero rotation is that it's kind of a necessity to ensure that we're always seeing that strategic diversity. We're always seeing that adaptation, um, on-the-fly adaptation, that I think is the bread and butter of what makes Overwatch a great game. I mean, it's the reason I want to play Overwatch over playing another game. It's because there are all these different strategies and all these different permutations of what you can do, and you've really never experienced all that Overwatch has to offer. There's just too much complexity there. So um, from my perspective, I think Hero Pulls will enable a lot more of those heroes to, to see gameplay, and if there's ever a hero or two that end up in a spot where they're just a little too dominant and a pro team can kind of leverage them 100% of the time, then those heroes can get cycled out so that you know others can see the light of day. All right, finally something pops up here that we disagree with. I was hoping that this would happen at least in our first episode. Now, I want to start by saying, first of all, on its face that... Could be entirely wrong here. This could be one of the best things that's ever happened to Overwatch. You know, when the 222 was first instituted, I was a little on the other side of it, but I think overall it has definitely helped the health of both the game and the league itself. But I have to say, I, I feel like with Hero Pools, they might have been a little heavy handed a little too quickly. Um, the fact that they're willing to put this both into the game for testing and into the league at the same time. You know, Jeff has already said that if this ends up not working out in the game, they won't have it in the second season. And I have to ask that if that ends up happening, you know, if it ends up going over, you know, uh, not well, bad, you know, and they end up taking it out of the game, you know, it's now been put into the league and tainted isn't really the right word. But I understand that when a, a meta gets too dominant, like Goats does, you know, you want to see some shift. You want to see some shakeup in it. But do you think that they could have maybe started a little bit slower, you know, fat, excuse me, faster hero balances, you know, faster updates. You know, we even saw when we knew that 222 was coming, suddenly Shanghai came out with something entirely new that completely started to dismantle the GOAT's meta. You don't think that the hero pools, especially being instituted differently every single week, could be a little bit too much too fast? Um, well, first of all, I think um, I just want to I just want to disagree. I think with your example on um, on Shanghai and a few other teams, including us on the Outlaws, playing you know these Farah based um, wrecking ball compositions, trying to defeat goats with like a dive strategy. Um, I wouldn't say it dismantled goats because if you look at the league at that time, I mean the top top five or six teams were all hundred percent locking goats. And the only teams that were doing this with playing these, these you know, dive-based Pharah strategies were teams that were in the middle or the bottom half of the league trying to find a way to get wins because they weren't having success playing GOATs. Uh, and that was certainly the case for us on the Outlaws um, in the second season. I mean, 
we knew that goats was the superior composition, but with 222 on the horizon, we just didn't feel that we would have the time to close the gap on the execution factor of goats. Um, and we felt we had better chances to get wins on a composition that's a little bit crazier and relies on more individual insane performances. Um, but we felt like that gave us still some better odds to get wins. But I think realistically, that composition was never better than goats, especially for the very best teams at executing the goats composition. Um, I mean, even in our most successful time, even I'd say any team that was playing this um, heavy dive based strategy, the ones that had real success were the ones that often would switch back to a somber goats format, often would switch back to a traditional goats format in those parts of the map that demanded it. So uh, I would say that, you know, that composition had some selective success, but part of that just came from the fact that we knew 222 was coming. We knew that the returns to continuing to practice goats were pretty minimal because it was effectively going to be banned out. Um, so uh, I think the reason those strategic changes came about was not because that comp was genuinely stronger than goats or genuinely a quote unquote counter, um, but rather just because we knew the end of goats was nigh and we felt like it was more efficient to um, start practicing new strategies. Um, and, and I think it's showed by the top teams still playing goats. So, so how disruptive to the meta exactly do you think hero pools are going to be? I mean, you know, the idea of the meta is something that's prevalent in every esports. You know, even something like League of Legends that has the you know the picks and bans system, a picks and bans meta ends up developing around that. Well, I think actually this is actually a really common criticism of the hero pool system. So it's a great thing for us to dive into here. Um, the way I think. The critical difference between a MOBA with a hero pick and ban system um, and Overwatch is that in a MOBA, when you're picking and banning, a ban is just a ban, but a pick is also a ban. A pick is both a pick and a ban, and that is unique. That is not like how Overwatch will work, um, and the reason for that is that you can't pick the same hero on both teams in MOBAs, um, but in Overwatch, of course, you can always mirror match, um, and I think that that seems like a small difference, but in fact, it, it couldn't be more significant when it comes to developing a meta. What that means is that a ban is a universal ban, and there's nothing you can do to reserve a hero for yourself. It's impossible. Like, if you can play the hero, the enemy team can always switch to the same heroes you're playing. There's, there's nothing that ever will prevent that. So, uh, the reality of a ban meta, quote-unquote, is, is, I think, unrealistic, just because, um, by definition, if you ban a hero... You're banning it because of the relative strength of the two teams. So if Team A wants to ban Widowmaker, doesn't like playing Widowmaker, then by definition, that is because their opponent does like playing Widowmaker or, or likes it more than they do. Like you would never ban a hero um, that you were confident on yourself. You would only ban heroes that you think the enemy team has a significant advantage on. So for the, the ban meta for Team A is always ban Widow, but that by definition means that the ban meta for Team B is, is never ban Widow. So you end up in a situation where each team might have their own bands that they would like to see. They might have their own heroes where once that hero's out of the pool, that benefits Team A. But by definition, that means it's hurting Team B um, just because the bands are global. So the only reason you want the band is that you think that the other team has an advantage. Um, but of course, if they have an advantage, then they'll feel exactly the opposite. So uh, the ban meta that develops in um, the pick band system for MOBAs, I think is largely a result of the fact that uh, there's a first pick and a, and a second pick. So uh, if you are first or second pick, that changes the heroes that you want to ban um, because of the fact that you're looking to get these picks. Whether you have the first pick, you want the, the strongest hero available, or you have the second pick and you want like a nice grouping of two heroes uh, that work well together. In Overwatch, that aspect of it just doesn't exist. 
So I think what the hero pools will actually accomplish is instead of creating some sort of stagnant meta where it's the same every time, um, by definition, it'll just let every single team have their strengths and weaknesses highlighted more um, and make the differences between the teams more apparent, which I think is really the most important thing overall, that teams are able to be more unique, be more strategically diverse. And especially with the speed of the hero pool rotation, it's going to mean that the best teams are now going to be the teams that can adapt on the fly. It's no longer about getting your execution to that 99th percentile, being the very, very best in the world at a composition that everyone understands. Now the real game is who can make that composition faster because in one week, nobody will be perfect. But I don't want to see perfection. I don't want to see two teams you know, playing at each other's throats absolutely perfectly. One team makes one mistake and that causes them to lose because the standard of play is so high. I want to see that quick adaptation, team A switching back and forth, team B switching to counter. I want to see that live. And I think that without a hero pool rotation, uh, you just won't see that because these teams will get so insanely good at whatever the best strategy is. They'll be playing it almost 100% of the time. And I think that's something about that that's just in the nature of competitive Overwatch that there's significant rewards to playing only one composition and becoming incredibly good at it. So we need some sort of structural reform that prevents that sort of strategy from taking hold so that the viewers can really see uh, something that looks more like casual Overwatch where you actually see a lot of heroes, different heroes every match. Um, I think that that's part of the appeal of Overwatch and it just gets kind of weeded out in pro play. Yeah, that's something that I'm, I'm going to have to agree with. Uh, for me, it's always been down to the hero switching and the hero countering. That is some of the best play I've ever seen. And honestly, one of my favorite matches of all time uh, came down to, was in Season 1. It was uh, the Outlaws versus the Boston Uprising. And I forget now, off the top of my head, who the other player was, but you and another player were just constantly switching back and forth like five or six times within that, within that match to counter each other. And you're right, that is definitely Overwatch at its core. Uh, look, we still have way more to go here, so don't switch us off just yet. Coming up, we'll take a look at all the matches that are happening in New York and Dallas as the league officially kicks off. Probably 
just the toxicity. There, there should be a way to help that bring it down. As a solo player, um, there's it's not very fun grinding as a solo player. Maybe there's a way that Blizzard can make that more enjoyable. Thanks everyone for the downloads and the views to everyone who's still with us, whether you're listening in on the podcast or watching the VOD. For more, you can head over to Checkpoint XP. Make sure you take uh, time to visit our website over there. Uh, and for more Jake, you can follow him on Twitter at JakeOW and uh, his Twitch channel over at twitch.tv Jake underscore OW. So 2020 season officially kicking off here. Uh, it May already be started, depending on when you're watching this, but uh, I thought we'd take a look at some of these matches. You know, what are the ones that we're most excited for? What are we expecting out of them? And uh, I have to say, for me, I think that it's 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 between the uh, the Valiant, the uh, Uprising, and the Spitfire. They have some of the newest rosters remade almost entirely from the ground up. And uh, I think the one that I'm looking forward to the most is probably New York versus the Spitfire for that very reason. You have the the, the Titans that are the, the New York Excelsior in one corner that haven't made a whole lot of moves. I think they picked up a few in the offseason. And then you have the Spitfighter who, except for Krillin, are completely new. And I'm just... I'm, I'm really interested to see if this is going to be a complete knockout on New York's side or if some of these newer teams have some fire in them, uh, you know, coming into the season looking to prove themselves. Um, I definitely think Spitfire, you know, they've got a lot of rookies. They've got a lot of um, new faces, so it's really hard to predict how they'll play. Um, But I do think you're right that, you know, New York, you know, maybe they haven't had the most insane playoff runs, um, you know, uh, overall in the last two seasons of the Overwatch League. But if you underestimate this team, you are making a grave mistake. I mean, there just has not been a meta that they aren't good at. You know, even just the other day, uh, ZP and I were doing a practice cast over some old matches. We were watching um, the playoff match between New York and SF Shock. And we were just talking about how, I mean, even though Shock wins that series um, and ends up winning, I think, dominantly, uh, New York is just playing insanely well. And it's only these tiny little differences in execution one tiny mistake one ultimate out of place that lets the sf shock take the match um, and map after map it really ends up going down to the wire like that so if you think new york can't compete with the best of the best i would say you're just wrong so spitfire their new roster certainly has a lot to prove against such a storied group as new york excelsior how do you think that a group like the new york excelsior are going to fare uh once the hero pools get put in you know uh as you said they've always been really dominant in a meta that set when it comes down to perfect execution every single week week in week out having to constantly sort of switch up on the fly each week do you think that's something that's going to be to their detriment you know actually i think that um one th- one at impact of the hero pool system will be benefiting veteran players uh veterans of the overwatch league that is because those players that have been around for season after season they've experienced meta after meta after meta and although each meta in itself was re- relatively static and and relatively uh, consistent in terms of the hero pick Uh, A team like New York has seen all these different metas and their players have experienced playing all of these different heroes. So I think whatever hero pools we end up seeing, I do expect a team like New York to do really well. I mean, everyone talks about Jonak on the Zenyatta. That's that's what comes to mind when you think of this player. You think of his insane 
fragging out performances on Zenyatta. But I can tell you firsthand, this guy is an insane Ana. He's a very smart player. He can get a ton of value off any support you put him on. So uh, I think like th- this team is just star studded. I-, I really can't imagine that there's any hero pool that really prevents them from bringing out a great roster. Um, and now, obviously, with the additions they made in season two, that it's just huge updates in terms of they always have an option for switching up the DPS, switching up uh, the people they want to bring to bear. Um, there's also superstars like Mono. I always want to call out as just being, in my opinion, a real contender for best main tank in the world. I mean, he plays everything and he plays it well. So uh, I'm really not going to underestimate the New York Excelsior. I think that would have been a grave mistake the last two seasons. I don't expect any changes in that regard, regardless of the hero pools. All right. So uh, out of these eight matches that we have coming up this weekend, what are a few of the ones that you're really looking forward to? Um, personally, I actually really want to see Valiant versus Dallas. Um, I think that uh, the Los Angeles Valiant versus Dallas Fuel will be an underratedly good match. I think both teams have a lot to prove. Dallas, of course, you know, putting a huge amount of resources into this new roster, picking up massive players like DK, you know, and spending a lot to do so. So Dallas is making a huge commitment to this season. They want competitive success. I mean, obviously season one was, was not probably not what they were hoping for. The next season, uh, saw, seeing a significant improvement, but still not reaching the heights I'm sure Hastro is, is hoping for. So this is really the season for the Dallas Fuel. I mean, they've only expanded in terms of how much investment they're putting into their roster. So I think they really need to see results soon. Um, whereas the Los Angeles Valiant uh, are doing kind of a 180, completely going for a little bit of like a Boston strategy, I would say, bringing up a ton of rookies um, with high potential and seeing if they can shape them into a top-level Overwatch League team. Uh, but what I've heard through the grapevine is that you should not underestimate the Los Angeles Valiant. Um, what I've heard is that they are actually quite overperforming maybe on a lot of people's expectations. So if you're a Valiant fan out there, you're worried, oh, this team of rookies, can they still perform, you know, without superstars like Space on the roster? Um, from what I hear, they're, they are quite strong. So I would really want to see that match, especially in Dallas with the hometown crowd behind the fuel. Can Los Angeles Valiant, can this group of rookies upset with an unfriendly crowd? That would be insane to see. Uh, I would not be too upset myself seeing Dallas lo- lose on their home turf, but I will also say that I actually do actually, uh, you know, I'm a, look, I'm a big fan of Gamsu, big fan of Note, uh, you know, got to hang out with him a little bit uh, last year at uh, uh, PAX East, actually, and I'm really looking forward to seeing those two teaming up together, you know, back on the field together, and, uh, you know, would it's a little bit of, I think, bittersweet, you know, if they end up taking the loss. I'm not going to be too mad, but I would love to see both of them uh, come out with the win as well. Last question I have for you before we wrap it up here. If you have to pick one match for people to watch, if they only have time to get one in this weekend, what's the absolute must-watch match in your opinion? Hmm, much must-watch match. I mean, I, I actually think it, it would be the, the, the Dallas and, and Valiant match. That is what I'm thinking about. That is what I'm excited to see. I mean, I think there are some more lopsided matches coming up. And if you want to see some of the best teams in the league uh, putting on a show, you'll certainly have that as well. But I think in terms of a match that could go, you know, be unexpected in terms of results and be really hotly contested all the way through. For me, it really is L.A. versus uh, Dallas. All right, I think for mine, I'm going to have to throw in the uh, Titans versus the Gladiators, also happening in Dallas. I can't wait to see how Fissure and uh, Jay Hong, uh, you know, uh, mesh into this team here. Um, I know that Fissure is an absolutely amazing, talented individual, but I also feel like he's a little bit of a problem child in the league, so I would love for him to prove me wrong uh, and for all the Fissure stands to get off my back about it. Uh, but that's all the time that we have for today. Thank you again to everyone who joined us for this first episode of the Owl's Nest. We expect to see you back here every single Friday 
for new episodes. You can find us, uh, you can find the VODs on YouTube. You can also find a audio version format uh, on um, Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, wherever it is that you find your podcasts. Uh, thank you again for joining us, guys. And I want you to always remember, until next time, to stay on that payload. <laughs>